and welcome to the Money Magic Podcast with Vangile Makwakwa. This is the podcast where we talk about trauma and how it affects our finances and our lives. I help women of color unlock ancestral wisdom so they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income, and live their best lives. This podcast was birthed when I started having conversations with private clients and students in my online courses about the remarkable shifts they'd had in their finances and started receiving feedback and updates from people on how these conversations were helping them understand their family dynamics and financial behavior. I've seen how unlocking ancestral wisdom has helped me pay off $60,000 in debt, buy property, launch and grow my company Wealthy Money into a six-figure business in US dollars as I travel and live in various countries on the globe. I've lived in over eight countries and traveled to many more as I built this company. My intention with this podcast is to provide you with weekly episodes that help you understand the importance of healing and help you understand your relationship with money better so you can start making different financial decisions and creating a life you love for yourself and future generations. So without further ado, let's get started and dive into this week's episode. Hi, Money Magicians. Welcome to another episode of the Money Magic series. My guest with me today is Nombeliso. Nombeliso was actually one of the first ever Money Magic students. So if you've just joined us, the Money Magic series is where I invite Money Magic students and my private clients to come talk about ancestral money trauma and their money journeys. And at first I thought I was going to do like a few episodes. It just keeps growing. At first it was like, because people would ask, were sending me emails, don't stop this. And now I'll be honest, I'm doing it because I enjoy it. So welcome, Nombeliso. Hi, Vangile. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. So please tell us who you are and what you do. Okay, so I'm learning a lot about invisibility from the course this this week. So I'm gonna def- I'm gonna describe myself in a visible way <laughs> and not showing away. So I'm the owner and founder of a business called My Unit Development Institute. It's one mm-hmm. of the um, unique um, businesses in the coaching space because I coach teenagers and I coach preteens and young adults and now families. So yeah. it's one of its kind in the country, in fact, in the continent, because yeah. we follow an African-centered approach to our coaching. Mm-hmm. So I'm the founder, I'm the CEO, and I'm one of the big people that's going to come out of this space in Africa. Yeah, no, I love it, right? So <laughs> before we go any further, I am so like, Nambeli, so your work intrigues me and I think it intrigues lots of people. So I just yes. want us to go a little deeper into this because 
your work is multi-pronged, especially yes. for African people. So yes. I want us to just tie, touch a little bit on that because it ties into family trauma and teen mm. trauma. So you started, yes. um, you've actually trademarked the teen coach brand. Yes. And now yes. you have teen coaches that work under you. What yes. do those teen coaches do? Why is teen coaching um, so important? In fact, the teen coaches don't work under me per se. They're just affiliated to us in terms of the mm. code of ethics, but they work for themselves. Um, they run yeah. their own practices and then they keep oh. their own money. But for ethics purposes, everyone is still links to our business so that um, we all follow the same ethical code because working with minors, especially in, in our country, in Africa, where minors are under siege in terms of... Um, people always pick on minors, especially those that mm -hmm. work with kids. So we thought in for, for safety purposes, all the teen coaches need to have an umbrella where they belong to for ethics purposes. So mm -hmm. what teen coaching is, is um, it's simply it's life coaching, but for teenagers and for preteens, mm -hmm. mainly because um, I realized, um, okay, I've been doing this for more than 25, 28 years. Um, mm -hmm. And while I was working with adults for the longest time, I realized their issues came from their childhood. Mm -hmm. I then thought if we intervene at the childhood stage, we then are able to mitigate any future wounds or, or their internal wounds expanding more than they should in terms of when they're adults. So we then, I then thought, mm -hmm. okay, I need a concept that's going to intervene at preteen and teenagers so that when they become young adults, they are much more better emotionally than we, some of us were when we were um, young adults and adults. Yeah. So then I created teen coaching, trademarked it as a concept. I'm um, legally trademarked. And then um, I then I've been running that as, as, as an umbrella. So the formalized part of it, this thing, up, it's almost six years now, but yeah. in the space of working with teenagers um i've been in this field of, in fact i was born into it yeah. and and that's why it was important to me the other thing is that i realized that psychologically in the psychological space there's a lot of western methodologies that are being used yeah. on us that are not working you find that mm. because they are not working they then tend to medicate our kids because yes. no one is understood how to handle the psych of a black child. So yeah. in that misunderstanding, you'd find that when they don't know how to handle us, they recommend medication. And what medication does, it dumbs us down and slows us down. And therefore mm. we are less of a problem um, yeah. to those that are working with us. And yeah. what people don't understand though is that in the long run, that medicating for years had its own after effects. Which yes. almost feeds into something else as well. So Ooh. I wanted to close the gap because I understood that most of our our of our emotional wounds are from childhood and also yeah. they're from family traumas as well. Yes, wow. I love that you spoke about that. You know, I've been very reluctant to talk about like how 
uh, black people have different type of trauma. So maybe I've not been reluctant when I think about it. Hi to no. talk <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I feel like I'm a lot like my brother said something to me a few days ago. He said, I'm a man of little words. And I remember thinking, <laughs> what the hell is it talking about? So sometimes we have this view of ourselves, which is so not true. You know, yes. my brother has kept me on the phone for eight hours straight. So a man <laughs> of little words is definitely not him, right? But mm. um, let's talk about how black trauma, especially with children, is different from my trauma. What do you think are some of the causes of that? And I'm just thinking, wow, there's just so much, you know? Um, that we don't even realize that I think that if you go to when I went to just traditional therapy, a lot of things didn't help me like I got help. But then the same issues came up way, way later, Mm. which is why I started ancestral trauma work. Mm. So can you tell us a little about that and how you sometimes see these unique traumas play out with teens and how they are misdiagnosed because of Western modalities? Um, oh, it's quite broad. I'm trying to think of an example from my work. Yeah. Um, it's quite broad. Um, so the way that um, Western psychology works is that they work with what you bring to them. For an example, um, if you say that the child is failing at school, what they would mm-hmm. then do is they would focus on the failing and yes. what they can do to, to intervene in the failing part of it. And what mm-hmm. they don't consider is the fact that a lot of things, because you know, we know in the African culture, Uguti, every tree has its roots and yes. those roots then fit into the entire tree. So the way that we work on our side is to say, okay, we see that the fruits of this tree are not producing well or are not are not growing properly. So what are we feeding the roots? What has been feeding these roots? So this is what we do in, in the African context side of things is we look at the root causes and then those root causes, once we feed them or we unpack them, then we're able to see a child produce different results. Whereas in a Western um, approach, they mostly look at um, what's brought in front of them and when mm-hmm. I asked um, a psychologist this they said um, it, it's difficult for them to to look at the root causes because of the guiding mm-hmm. rules around psychology um, and around what is they expected to do yeah. whereas being African is not it's, I mean, it's not very complex it's just unique because mm-hmm. What makes us who we are is not just us only, it's the community that we're coming from, it's the family that we're coming from, it's the history that we're coming from. Mm -hmm. So we have our individual history, but there's a collective history that feeds into us, be it Mm -hmm. we agree to it or not. Hence, you'd hear um, Abandu say, we are because of other people, or you'd hear Africans say, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, mm. And people assume that we take this child into a village, which is not true. The fact that it, you are existing as a human person, there's a village around you, be it you, be it you invite it or not. So yeah. in the teen space, in the teen space, um, when you when a child goes into a school, the school becomes the village. 
each they have friends that they go to or not, there will be people that come to that particular child, be it they are good friends or not. And those people then form the village that this child belongs mm. to. So um, in spaces um, at, at school with, where teens are involved, you find that if a child is struggling um, at, at school, um, maybe they're being bullied, um, a lot of people assume it's because they're new in this environment. Whereas you'd find that a child has not built enough confidence um, for them to be able to sustain external pressure, or you'd find that where the child is coming from home-based-wise, sure. there isn't enough validation and care mm -hmm and guidance and support that is enough for this child to go out there and be able to stomach issues when they come up. So when we work with teens, then it becomes impossible to just look at the one element that they bring yeah. to you. You have to look at it and say, what else fits into this child? And that's yeah. what makes us, us different um, yeah. because we come from a different type of, um, of, of uniqueness. Yeah, actually, as you're talking, I remember when I was in um, seeing a psychologist and a counselor in high school, I enrolled myself, right? Um, at first, they tried to work with me as just the individual, right? Yes. And then yes. like at some point, they brought my mother in, they brought my uncle in, and then they bring my dad in. But what they weren't, re what my um, psychologist at the time was not realizing was that like, yes, I was coming in every week, but things were not radically shifting within me because I was going home to a unit with its own yes. traumas, you yes. know? So a yes. lot of things I was like, being healed in the space, but there was this whole other unit, which was not made up of my mom and my uncle and my dad, but it was made up of grandmothers, was made up of aunts, was made up of cousins, and all these people were contributing mm. to my trauma, you mm. know? So it's, I love what you do, because the other thing that you do is you do family dynamics work. Yes. Can you please talk to us about that? Because I think, most people don't understand. They think, I'll just send the child to camp, mm. to teen camps, and I'll just continue being this toxic human. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, I yeah. saw growing yeah. up. It's like, yeah. it's that child's issue. But the thing is that yeah. this is a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old. So you also do family dynamics work. What is that and why is it so important? In fact, family dynamics is the core of, of my work. Um, it's the biggest element of it because if a child is not doing well at school, I often check first family dynamics and see what's happening sure. there. Um, so the reason why it's important, I'll make an example. Um, there was a teen where I was working with. Um, when they came to me, the child was smoking, doing drugs, smoking weed, drugs, and a whole, whole mix of things. Also highly violent at home. Um, attacking yeah. parents and everything else at home and uh, and he was 15 16 years of 15 years of age so he was he was still quite young so yeah. the first thing then I had to usually when when people bring kids to me they say this child is a problem good Dallas and Shia we've been beating this child up for a couple of times and it's not working yeah. and you know and so so parents are used to beating up the child not realizing actually the child is responding to something that is happening at home so mm -hmm. in this case the child wasn't told who the biological father is and the child mm -hmm. um 
and the child had been dreaming about this biological father for years, ever since he was um, eight sure. years of age. So he'd been dreaming about this person. Wow. And then there was another person at home who's called the father. And this child was aware, good to there's a person that I'm dreaming about that says he's my father or that looks or feels like feels like he's my father. And, I've got goosebumps and, because you talk a lot about this, about how black children, again, that comes back to some of the things that are very unique to us. It's also these deep spiritual gifts that we walk with. So even lying to black children is a difficult one. It's difficult. So, so then this child, um, from eight years of age, and the and the dreams he was having was very vivid in terms of how this person looks, yeah. her style, how they dresses, and the car they were driving. Yeah. And he's never met this person before. And then fast forward at when he was fourteen years of age, um, mom gets married to the guy and to the to the the personal boyfriend. Then his stepdad, and then this child knows as this, the stepdad as the biological dad. And then one day the person in the dream rocks up in the house oh. and the boy is the one that opens the door. And oh. when he opens the door, the person is exactly as he has seen him along the years and he's never met this person before. Oh <laughs> um, and then, and this is a, this is a true story guys. <laughs> this is a true story. And now the person who is coming, which is the biological father, was the one who was not wise because then, because he's been absent all along, what he then did was to introduce himself as the father and then began to let out his anger about the mom on the child. And that anger then, because what then he did was to immediately go to court to get custody of this child. So imagine you've been away 14 years and now you take this child to court and then you bed mouth the mom. And then it become it became messy. And that's what brought the anger oh. from the child. Um, and the anger is multifaceted. The, anger, the boy was angry at the mom for not telling him the truth. Mm um at the at the stepdad for not being honest at the grandparents for also hiding all of this and he was angry at everyone so um so so when he came to me they did not know that he's known about this thing all along through the dreams oh. they he never told anyone until he came to see me and when he oh. told me it was like no man says this is the reason that um, yeah. and then this is how it played out so you see how family dynamics play out yeah. now when you have a teenager at home you have this teen that swears at everybody else in the house and you don't know why um you have yeah. this teen that's fighting everyone and you think this child is rude this child is lazy this child um doesn't just respect us doesn't honor everything in us and, us and you don't know why you think that's the reason whereas there's a much more deeper situation that's happening and um and you are the cause of it <laughs> the big part is that you are the cause of it yeah. so if anyone needs to be beaten up yeah and then on top you. of that you beat this child yes so whoever needs beating yeah. actually it's you um the grown-ups and not this child um and also one of the things i'm learning now is that the deep part of it is that in and, and it's happening more and more so now if the trauma in the family happened at eight years of age or nine years of age or 10 years of age of a child the child stays there emotionally and doesn't grow that makes the sense years, actually yes the years grow but emotionally and spiritually, the child doesn't grow. They stay in that state. Mm. So for mm. you to be able to assist this child, you need to allow them to grow. 
and a space to yeah. grow. Goes back to how this child is going to be parented. You know the work we do with inner child. Yes. <laughs> then comes in. It then comes in here in the sense that now the parents need to learn how to parent this child out of that yes. stage to the next to the next growth phase. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think what I can say from what I know about trauma is that that actually happens. It's um, maybe it happens a lot more at like eight years and on, but yeah. I also know that it's like, I've noticed that at the age of three and four, even two, yeah. a child yeah. can stay there. So you're yeah. growing, but then like, yeah. even as an adult, you're relationshiping as a four-year-old, you're dealing yeah. with money as a four-year-old, you're four dealing year old, with yeah. everything. So it's the yeah. same, what you're saying. It's like, the child is growing up, but the child is still eight. You have, yes. and this is why we will look at certain things. I've been thinking a lot about how we go Elokshini in the village, especially with young men. And we're like, but they don't move out of home. They still rely on their mothers because there's something that they has happened come. that mm. has kept them in that childlike mm. state, you know? And I think mm. what often happens with women is that our parents even though we're still in that state, we are being forced out of the nest. So we yeah. have to grow, right? And, mm -hmm. we're, and even then we look grown, but we're not. We're still operating we're from the state. And that comes yeah. because of trauma. Because mm. part of, we haven't, we're not able to process the trauma. So we stay in that state. Mm. Wow, Nomvi. So I'm just very interested, like, uh, maybe other people are also thinking this because I'm thinking this and I don't really know, right? Is mm -hmm. that so? Do you bring the entire family together then? And then do you work with them individually? Do you do group work with them? Um, so the interesting part about my work is that it unfolds in stages. I'm learning that now. So mm -hmm. initially, when I first began, I would work with the kids only and then mm -hmm. give feedback to the parents. Um, um, because at that stage, um, back, back in the days, I didn't have um, um, methodologies that had that had um, unlocked. Because we go, we, we live in a life that unlocks yeah. um, these, these teaching and lessons for us as we grow, also mm -hmm. um, as as individual and as coaches. Because we also go through our own emotional growth. We also yeah. go through our own spiritual growth. So initially, I'd work with the teenagers and then give feedback to the parents that they know. And then I guess, I guess. When I was giving feedback to the parents, my understanding is that they would then go to psychologists and maybe then um, have their own um, way of dealing with things through psychologists. And then I realized psychologists don't know what to do. So they would refer them back to me um, in a wow. weird way. <laughs> because they don't know what to do. They've never met some of these issues before, so they don't know how to tackle them. So now, so mm. now um, I then realize, okay, um, so I need to have other teen coaches that deal with the teenagers so that I can move mm. more into family work because it's quite complex. It requires yes. a high level of maturity. It requires a high level of emotional growth. It requires mm. a high level of, of presence. Um, mm. and, and therefore I thought, okay, let me train other teen coaches so that in the market they can take care of the teens and then I will deal with their parents because some of their mm. issues, it's difficult for parents ne? because parents have grown. Yes. We, are, we are also very self-defensive. We, we defend True. ourselves with everything that we have, which mm. slows down growth. Um, yeah. Also, um, we run away from facing up ourselves, our own issues. We run away yep. from doing that. Um, 
and also when we are afraid of coming across as failures so mm. anything that's going to point back to us we feel judged um yes. without opening us, ourselves up for learning um and i understand because we grow up in social media times where we see parents getting attacked all the time so the mm. first primary instinct that parents have is to hide and protect themselves um yeah. but what it doesn't do though it doesn't help the situation because then when a child comes back home they come back to the same trauma and we just replicate it all the time mm. so now what i do is i work with the teenager and then I work with the parents. Né? And now yeah. it's opening up to working with the broader family community because there are certain things that are then linked to the broader community of the family. What mm. I began to do last year as an example, because I do camps for teenagers, we call them retreats, retreats for teenagers. And then while I was preparing for the retreats, I realized that there were a lot of missing links, which often were linked to absent fathers. I then mm. began... I'm asking for contact details of the absent sure. fathers so that I can involve them in the conversation, mm. realizing that because of my format of using, of seeing the tree and checking out the roots, I needed to know what else fits into the situation. Then I'll have conversations with mm. um, absent fathers. Um, sure. Then that has now grown to, um, to including um um, the whole family into the coaching space because there's a need for it. Yeah. Um, we call it, we term it family reconciliation, um, but yeah. it, sometimes English throws these things out. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very limited in how we use this language, but yeah. it's similar to family reconciliation because we've grown into this culture that cancels family, cancels, cancel, cancel, cancel. Whereas yeah. if your child is going through a particular problem, chances are um, they might need a conversation with their biological father. Even yeah. if me as a mom, I'm still angry at the biological father who's my yeah. ex-boyfriend. So, yeah. so we need to get to a stage where as the biological mom, I put aside my emotional issues with the ex-boyfriend and realize there's a part in this ex-boyfriend that is my child's father and my child needs information so that he can be okay. And sometimes information is as simple as this child knowing how this man looks like for this child to be sure. okay. And sure. as it could be as simple as this child knowing, am I like him? Like personality-wise, because personality-wise and also emotionally in terms of character traits, am I like him? Mm. This becomes even much more deeper if the biological father is a jailbird. Um, you'd find that it's quite common for teenagers to either find themselves up in jail, even if they've never met the father, but they heard someone wow. who the father is a jailbird. Um, so it's very intricate. Um, wow. So then, so then, they, they, so we call it um, in, in Kosa, yes, the medicine that we use to heal that part is to introduce um, the child to the source, which might be the yeah. biological father. So the child can then have a space to define for himself from having the full information who he wants to be and not ask biological moms deciding for them. Because yeah. Tina, we assume because we are the moms, we assume it starts and ends with us when it sure. doesn't. Yeah. Because because black humanity is very unique and very complex and very colorful. It is. <laughs> so hey? We involve family. Um, another example that speaks into a family um setup is that 
I'll say this um, because I'm working around that with my with my own family. There's certain information about my own family that I needed, which yeah. I'm now finding from other members of the family community that I've never even met before. Um, sure. That I'm working now, and that information that they have there is helping me to define myself. So mm. the cancel culture might work in celebrity mode on social media, but when we bring it home to family, it doesn't work it because really the African, doesn't. African Black community has certain. Um, I want to get English. <laughs> 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 Um, our family have certain heartbeats um, that are different yeah. to other communities. And when yeah. those hearts don't beat properly, um, that's when we talk about family trauma then because yeah. it means shifted. And, and, and we can't just name it family trauma and leave it there when, we have, when, yes. uh, when we, have, we have to work on it. We have to challenge ourselves to work yes. on it. And this is why... Yes. Um, and, and 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 mind you, this is just family dynamics, ne? without the money stories. We haven't even touched on how this plays out in the money space. Um, <laughs> I know. Another We're going to touch on that, actually. <laughs> uh, We're so going to touch on that. Just, I'm just showing the dynamic, how broad it can be yeah. because it plays into the whole dynamic of who we are and how yeah. we are impacted by things in a certain way as African community. Yeah. So I know you and I just let's start to transition a little into the money thing. You and I actually had this really interesting conversation in the student group where we're talking about like how realizing how money is made in our families has been Mm. such a huge aha moment. So guys, I was sharing with Numbeli so that I realized that especially in my maternal line, people don't like to work hard, hey? Like in my (laughs) maternal family line, it's like the minute, and the minute people go into hard work drive, that's when everything goes crazy. So like Mm. I had to go on my own journey to understanding who are these ancestors? And I'm very lucky because I've got honey, right? But then I also just sat down and asked my mom questions. Who are these ancestors? And also I've shared before in the interview with Polite, like the story of how my mom says I was. Like I wouldn't move around. I wouldn't do a lot of things in the womb. I only did things when necessary. You could beat me. You could do whatever. Like she would like tap my tummy, uh, her tummy, nothing. Like I would not bother letting people know that I existed. So that was also a big understanding for me to say, oh, there's one side of my family where ease is super critical in allowing money in. That actually this particular part of the bloodline, when we do too much, certain Mm. things just go a little odd. (laughs) So for some reason, I don't know why. But there are also families where we spoke about this, where it's like understanding the challenge within the family as well. It's like, okay, there are certain things within my family that I understood within the maternal line, which helped me see, okay, this may be the source of the trauma where money is concerned. So how can someone, I guess my whole thing is like, you said you're going uh, to look at some of these things within your family, within your bloodline, that family information, how can people collect that information and how do you deduce it? And how does it then, how do you know how it's affecting you financially? 
Um, um, let me see. Um, so okay, so on on my side of the work, um, it's one of the practical things we do when we look at family history because mm. it becomes a big part of who we are. So one of the simplest way of of um family history is the common family trees um where you yes. build that up um and then once you've done the family tree you then have um okay on my side everything is very practical you, like you get up and go meet yeah. people and talk about conversations nice. um you, you pick up the phone and you have conversations with people wow. um so in my case i think i began mine at around 18 years of age um mm. so so my family has um, a lot of people that I was able to have conversations with and yeah. even have our, our family history, um, part of our family history from four, five generations down, um, mm. if not six generations down. Wow. Um, mainly because I get up and go talk. People always think that everything's going to come to you. It's not going to come to you. You have to sometimes get up and go have conversations with individuals within your family. It's so, that's so important. It's quite important. Please, so I'm just thinking, we, sorry, continue now, be sorry. And then what then happens in my space, we then collect all of this family history and we sit down um, with it. And then, um, and then once we have those bits of family history, we then look at your own individual history, which starts mm -hmm. from conception, like you said, starts from conception. Yeah. Um, so I would look at how you were conceived. I would look at um, your oh. intro, individual journey. And I will um, look at um, how your mom interacted with that, and then the first um, first wow. months of your existence, um, and then the first eight years of your existence, and then we bring that in so that then we are able to look at what is there, what what family traumas are there, um, besides family traumas, what what positive things are there that you can mm. capitalize on to build your life, um, and then what do you need to work on, yeah. what do you need to let go of. Um, and then, so, so, so a lot of these things, it's not a one day show. And I think that's mm -hmm. the thing we need to keep educating with individuals that you don't just work, because people always look at the money component of things. Well, oh, okay, so how much is your session? Oh, how much are you charging? Yeah. Because they're thinking I'm going to sit in one session, I'm going to have everything <laughs> <laughs> unfolding. And but how can you? Because you've just told us about five or six generations. Yeah. That. Like, I mean, that's yes, almost two, 250 years worth of work and understanding. Yes. How are you going to do that in even three, four yes. sessions, even six sessions? Like, yes. guys, this is <laughs> centuries of work yes. and understanding. Yes, because I began at 18 years of age, and I think I got the first... Um, calm that I've done a bit of the work when I was around 35 years of age because mm -hmm. my goal was to reach my 40s a lot more calm and more mature I didn't want to have, I, I didn't want to have emotional issues at my old age mm -hmm. so I then began the work at 18 years of age um sure. so so once we put all of that information together we then look at your individual history from birth mm -hmm. from conception to birth first few years first few months who was there how was their position in your life and 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 and, and then you feed that into the first eight years where were you what was happening and then you then look at planting family traumas sure. positive, positive, positive things who was there 
who's here now, and then you create um, a, a, a profile for yourself that then helps you not only manage your own life, but also raise your kids proper using yeah. that as well. Because in my yeah. space, it then fits into what I call family formation, where you, frame, you form your family in a particular way. Yeah. And then that fits into how you then raise your your um your kids. It's what we call now ancient wisdom because um mm. people often say there's no manual for parenting, but yeah. there was a way that Africans did parenting. There was a way. Um yeah. it might not be called a manual in English, but there was a way that Africans um um raised their kids. But when colonialism happened, um a lot of our ways got looked down on as um as primitive as not glamorous enough um so a lot of our ways got looked down quite a lot but what then happened is when colonialism was happening um the state at that time brought in a lot of psychologists from germany from australia from the uk to come into our country during that phase of of, um of colonialism when they were introducing everything Mm. So what those psychologists did was they positioned themselves in spaces like in the Eastern Cape, in case that, and this is part of my research that I'm sharing with wow. you. Right now. So, um, wow. a so they stationed themselves in KZN. Um, in wow. Eastern Cape. That's why you find that the biggest missionary schools were in the Eastern Cape yes. and in KZN. But then they did was they looked at how we were living, how Africans were living. This makes me emotional because it's so deep. Um, So they looked at how we were living. They wrote those things down, but they gave their own interpretation of how we were living. Wrong interpretation of it because they didn't understand the language. They didn't understand why certain things were done. So they wrote things as they saw them as they perceived them, and then they wrote those things into textbooks. And then yes. um, that became um, how they dealt with with us also, and mm. how they removed certain things from us. Hence, the Witchcraft Act was created. Not, not that it had anything to do with witchcraft, but because there were certain unique spiritual things that, yeah. that we do. That like bearing the, the umbilical cord in the yard so that yeah. a child always knows who they are and yeah. connected grounded. to the land. So so then um, a lot of our ways then got looked down on, mainly because the colonialists didn't understand why we're doing these oh. things. And also because our elders were very wise in not giving out everything. Um, they were yeah. very, very wise. They were not being secretive, but our elders knew um, that some of these things were very sacred and, and they were not yeah. keen on giving up everything. But yeah. in the absence of true definitions, the colonists then attached their own meanings to things. And then you'd find that um, people are learning those things at different institutions these days and they think it's a proper thing and it's not. <laughs> so... So there was a way that parenting was done in the black community. There was a way that families were done. So now what the collective conscious is doing is true ancient wisdom is bringing those things back onto us so that yeah. we can then unpack it and assist people to close the gap so that we're able to move then to the next phase or the next era of our conscious evolution, if you may call it that. Um, 
So, so yeah, so these things are important um, and everything kind of links together in terms of then the family history, how you put it together, your own formation, and then also how you then raise your kids with that. And yeah. I must say, this is not a one day type of event where you go to an event and then yeah. I talk and then I go. It's, it's bigger than that. It requires time, it requires no. patience. Healing is not a one-day type of event. It's not even a three-month type of event. You need to give it time. Like, that's what I'm always trying to say to people. Attending a live class, attending a master class, this Mm. is not healing. Having an aha moment. Healing Mm. is so much deeper than that. The aha moment's Mm. great. These are conscious moments and conscious Mm. things that are happening. But a lot of healing is so much deeper. Like I was just, I'm going to bring it back to the money because I was just remembering how like um, for me, I was sharing in the student group that um, I realized that having a job was never going to work for me, you know, like, and I couldn't explain it to anyone at the time, except that I had gone through my family tree on the paternal side. And I had seen that absolutely every one of my aunts and uncles, including my dad, has always worked for themselves. My cousins, too. They've always started businesses. My grandmothers. It was never something. So I was like, this is, this is why it's so difficult for me to get a job. And then to mm. keep it is even more difficult. Like I've had jobs pay me out before my contract is finished. And that would always baffle me. Why is it that people are willing to pay me like 500,000 rand or more just so that I can just finish without me doing any work, you know? And I realized Mm. that one side is from the maternal line, right? With their ease and how they do Mm. things. And I think my maternal family still hasn't grasped it. But in my paternal Mm. line, I think people are just like, jobs are not our thing, but like, then I realized that, no, what if I focus fully on the business, that there's something about business that runs within the paternal bloodline. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. when like I started creating steady income, right? So Mm -hmm. understanding what it is that works within the family. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. not just about healing the family trauma. It's like, Once you start examining where you come from, this is what ancestral healing is. It's not just what people think it's working with Sangomas. It's like understanding whose are you, as Maya Angelou would say, right? It's like, where do you come from? What is your bloodline? What are the things that you could trace that are unique personality-wise, traits-wise, and even monetary-wise that you may be missing in your family. And I see it often, like, my cousins that try jobs, wow, you know? And I'm always like, guys, maybe we need to work for ourselves, right? And I think this is so, so important to understand because then you're like, oh, it's not about that I can't get a job. It's what Mm -hmm. is it, what are some of the gifts that are unique to my family bloodline? Yes. In my case, very similar, very, very similar. I think mm-hmm. we've spoken about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, one, of, one of the key things that I picked up in my own family history was that I come from a family of teachers. Literally, mm-hmm. my dad was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. My grand, my great-grandfather was a teacher. My, wow. my, my mom, my, my father's um, 
siblings, two of them are teachers besides him. So yeah. even my great granddad has a school named after the family because he was oh. that kind of a teacher. Um, so I realized one, there's something about teaching. Um, but yeah. but then because it's me, I realized it's not just about teaching in, in yeah. schools. Um, we have a core unique way of of um conveying um lessons mm. and messages um so very mm. unique with words very unique in terms of how we make delivery so i knew um so when i was growing up though i didn't want to be a teacher because i saw a mm. lot of teachers around me and my family but then yeah. at that time i misunderstood i thought teaching in terms of going to a school whereas mm. it was way more beyond that so that yeah. was the one that, that i used to build my business okay, i realized oh okay so teaching comes naturally yeah to me yeah. so one of those things so one of those things where even if i'm invited to give a talk or a conversation or a workshop um in in the hour the next hour i'll definitely know how to do it um yeah. i remember in my old in my old job i had a very um um petty manager who would um close off um giving me briefs thinking that i'm going to fail <laughs> And then he would tell me a brief five minutes before when there are CEOs around, hoping that I'm going to embarrass myself. Can't he? he didn't know that was my strongest point. <laughs> <laughs> and then also I realized that um, businesses were a huge part of the family as yeah. well. Um, and then I realized because of these two things, I can stop looking for a job because then it means I'm going to be okay. And yeah. then what I did was focused on building a business and then yeah. focused on um, on my content creation. Actually, you just reminded me now because I've been wanting to focus more on content creation. Now I realize I'm not <laughs> on track. <laughs> so thank you for that. Right? Um, yes, it's yes, the teaching. Yes, yeah. so family history and knowing how to decode it also because yeah. that's it can be one thing i think what a lot of people tend to do they tend to focus more on the negative that's been yeah. happening or that's happening in the family they forget to look at the the, the, the positives but also yeah. i'm realizing not everyone might have the gift of knowing how what to do with information once true. they have it yes. once they have it um, yes. because also it needs to be put into a particular context as well yeah. and then linked together. Not everyone yeah. has that gift. Hence, this it's important true. for a person to go to a coach um, so that you are able to get assisted to put that, that information into context. It's also quite common for triggers to come up when you do family yeah. history because whatever family traumas are there, they will be triggered. And yes. if you don't know or if you don't have support to manage the triggers, you're going to lose yourself um, yeah. because you're going to be caught in the triggers and forget um, the reason why you're doing stuff. So it's important when you're yeah. doing that inner work, we call it inner work, to have support. Have a support yes. of a coach that's going to travel with you. What people do, though, in the country, and I must call it out, is they tend to want to go to 10 coaches for the of the same thing. There's nothing wrong yeah. with having a coach and having a, a, a career coach and another different coach. But if you're going to go to 10 um, spiritual money coach, coaches, yeah. yeah, yeah, then you're going to have lots of problems that you're going to be yeah. just, you'll be, you'll be, yes, more pain closer 
you just yeah. I don't know how to do it. Because like all of us have different modalities of working, yes. right? Yes. And you and I have had this conversation where I've said to you before that one of the interesting things that I've seen is that the clients that I work with, where I just, where we're just like, can we just work with ancestral money trauma? And they're just mm-hmm. willing to go into the dark spaces and the money traumas and work mm-hmm. through this. Then like it's different. Their results I find are so much more faster in a way it's not that the others don't get results but it's like because there's none of that evid stuff this is the uh, the clients that i've had who have come through and they've been like no i yes i hear you on this trauma thing but it goes against what you're saying i don't even want to use this particular language because it will invite bad juju in it goes against <laughs> the law of attraction i have people that say that and i'm just like trust me this is for us to heal we need to use this exact languaging if these are the mm. words that were used in your family we mm. need to work with those words so that we can understand the ripple effect that these exact mm. words have had but because there's that fear and then it's like no it goes against the entire law of attraction and it will invite bad energy i should only use positive thinking then it's like Okay, mm-hmm. then there's there's a bit of a limitation there. It's not to say that yeah. you can't have mantras, you can't have your positive thoughts. There's no harm in that. But that there is a way of working um, that all coaches have different ways of working and neither yeah. of them are wrong. But yes. if you're going to negate, yeah. if you're going to work with one coach, and not want to use the full methodology because you are Mm. so scared because it contradicts with what you've learned from another coach you may as you say be tying yourself up you know you may be working against yourself yes definitely yeah no I agree with with what you've said so Mm. I mean yeah like wow yeah for me definitely just like with you like I had this aha moment with like okay my dad's family is into business my mom's family is actually really they have this weird they have these brilliant minds where they can tie things together really really fast they can like I want to say almost because they heal us they can say if this happens this happens this happens like they can see multiple Mm. uh, possibilities from one action you know so and yes. that they use yes. to be and they come their background is healing so i just think mm. what i've done is just combine these two strengths yes. to create a healing yes. business so this is yes. the power i think of understanding this generational pattern mm. even around mm. money and i know it's not mm. just about money it can also be what we're doing now in my paternal family the women we have retreats because because mm-hmm. of the same kind of concept, we've realized mm-hmm. that there's something around relationships and mm-hmm. money and us. So we're mm-hmm. trying to figure it out and we've traced it back, maybe like maybe five, six generations back with my grandmothers, mm-hmm. you know, and we're able to see, oh, so everybody comes with a story. My aunts are like, yes, but this is how great grandmother was. This is how so-and-so mm-hmm. was. And you know, she would tell us this is what would happen. And then we're like, but wow, how is it that a few generations later, we are all replicating the same kind of behavior and the same kind of trauma? 
because mm. this is ancestral trauma. This is how it's passed mm. down. So, wow. So, Navi, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> let's start to move more into the money questions. What does okay. money mean to you? Hmm. I think it. I think it changes. Um. Then I think it changes. Um. um I think we do this in the money course. Um. There are days when money is a lover. <laughs> like that. <laughs> that takes care of me <laughs> and makes sure that I'm well taken care of. And mm-hmm. then there are days when money is just a close friend that just mm-hmm. wants to make sure that I'm also um covered in a lot of things. Um. Yeah. And right now, I think money is a co-parent. <laughs> Because <laughs> I have a little one, um, and his his upkeep also sometimes depends on money. Um, so, and and the interesting thing is, I also grew up in a. Uh, I have a very huge um, Christian Christian background. Um, so I also grew up under that um, that umbrella that says money is the root of all evil. <laughs> so, oh. so um, I think when I came into the wealth money cost, that was one of the things that I had to interact with so that um, I don't, the thing is when you believe that money is evil, you won't want to keep money Amen. and you won't want um, to, to have it because then it's going to destroy your life. Um, mm-hmm. So it was and also, you won't want to do anything that's going to create more money for you because yeah. why would you want to create more evil for yourself? So yeah. that was one of the things I had, a, I had to debunk so that I understand that money is life. Um, yeah. And I guess that's what money is to me now. Money is life. Yeah. Whew. I love this. When did you start suspecting that your money story wasn't just about the money, that there was something more to this? And especially in your business, because so many people come have come on these interviews and even like everyone, I would say almost everyone references you and they say, no, like we would watch Nombeliso and we would see that no man, this woman is running a business. The business does keeps running. And then she would talk yeah. about wealthy money. So when did you start realizing that mm, maybe there's more to this money thing and this business thing than just the practical stuff? Um, I remember I used to be a huge self-sabotager. Um, and I remember because um, I, I'm a student of life, I love reading up on things. I love um, getting information. So I would read up a lot about self-sabotage in, in trying to manage it when I realized that um, almost everything that I do, I end up sabotaging myself. But not everything was working. I would read things, but I would just get stuck in the one place all the time. And then I came across, I don't know how I met you. I'm not sure that was from Lagos. Oh, Joe, yes. yes. And then I, I then I then read about the term relationship with money because that's the first, I think you are the first person that I've heard talk about money and relationship in the same sentence. I've never heard that before. Um, that actually you could have or you have a relationship with money, it's just that yeah. it might be a good one or a bad one. Yeah. Then I looked at um, my own state. Then I realized when it comes to money, Um, so you were saying so I realized I realized that I was sabotaging a lot, self-sabotage. Yeah. 
and I was reading up a lot on it because I love reading and getting to the bottom of things. But I think the more I read about it, the more I realized that it's not changing anything. I just have information <laughs> about yeah. it. It's not changing anything. Mm-hmm. And then I heard you the first time speak about money and relationship in the same sentence. It was from yeah. you. And then I realized, oh, okay, so you could have a relationship with money and it can be either good or bad. And then mm-hmm. you mentioned something about, um, I think I read one of your blogs that time because yeah. you were still starting out, um, yeah. but you said a lot of blog articles. So I read a lot of your blogs and then I realized, oh, actually, the reason why I'm sabotaging myself was, it, was because of a huge money trauma and in my family and that money trauma was linked to a person most dear to me at that time Mm. even now Uh, but at that time um, I had not um, interacted with that story on the money side of things and it was my dad my dad um um, had a mental breakdown and it was it was it was when he was around 35 36 years of age he had just completed his degree um Mm. and he had just bought a huge house um and he had i think his money also because he was now considered a lecturer not just a teacher and so he lost we lost everything um we lost he will he lost the house that he just bought for us he lost his job and he lost um his mind as well because he had a full mental breakdown and then because of that i had to drop out of school because we couldn't afford that anymore tertiary so yeah. a whole lot of money things just kept came tumbling down and then yeah. when i interacted with your blog and your and your some of the lessons i realized that the reason why i'm sabotaging myself a lot is because i'm afraid of making money in case yeah. something similar happens to me that happened to my dad yeah. and i realized that no amount of me reading about it is is, is working or helping so yeah. i needed to find another way of interacting with this so that i know how to break it off um mm-hmm. and i think that was the first time that i was able to actually make that particular link um then i yeah. realized okay this is how it affected me and this yeah. is based on i think um one of the meditations the one about inner child meditation yes. then i realized that um that situation because i was I, I was very close with my dad still am um yeah. but i was more closer than as a child because we were staying together and i was also aware of how much money was earning so i was very close to his money story yeah. so self sabotage was my inner child or me trying to protect myself from yeah. accumulating more money in case when I have more money, I get embarrassed, I get yes. humiliated. Um, because remember in those days when the bank takes the house, um, they, they, they come and do a huge show. And then also furniture shops also do a huge show of coming with a huge truck to repossess. Which is so traumatic. <laughs> so traumatic. Like I always think that, you know, like when people are screaming in restaurants, the cat is declined, declined yeah. on shops or things like that, guys. So much of what we do around mm. money, even like mm. the repossessing of homes, the repossessing mm. of furniture, we do it in such a big and loud manner. It's almost like our entire society is intent mm. on shaming mm. us for not being able mm. to afford okay. financially. Okay. It hurts yeah. me. 
Yes. So, so when that happened, I think then unknowingly, I kept protecting myself from having money. And that would mean me not having enough money all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I think it was then through the course that I realized that um, this is a money trauma that I will not be able to just fix by just reading everything. Because that's the other thing that we do in social media. We follow Magile, <laughs> yeah. we read everything, and we think, ah, I think I've got it now. I understand it. <laughs> I connected then, the dots, right? Because you could easily have said, no, I know what my story is. Because that's the thing. People think yeah. that knowing is healing. Yeah, right? it's not. <laughs> and it's so not. Like, I know my drama, guys trust and believe because I do this work and yet I still have coaches because knowing my drama knowing it fully doesn't mean that I I can just circumvent it so I go into the course I also do the work because knowledge doesn't awareness doesn't lead to healing it doesn't and I also I must also admit that um I think it's human nature where We, we want to act like I'm, I'm, I am my only resource. Yeah. Where I, I want to, we want to come across as if we are self-sufficient, yes. and that we've got this, like, yeah. we've got this. Um. So I think I had to do a lot of inner work, even after I have done a lot of inner work within the course, where. Mm. I, I have to I have to keep reminding myself that um there are certain things that I will not be able to do myself and that it is okay for me to ask to receive help from another coach that knows more in this field than I do. And I and I'm saying this because I see this um with other people now and I used to do it as well, where we get to a space where we feel we're self-sufficient. Um I don't mm-hmm. need I don't need I'm okay. I'll, I'll figure this out on my own. And in yeah. most cases, it doesn't help. And what helped me was a language that is used in the villages because I'm a village-born person that says, um, um, so meaning yep. the healer doesn't heal, doesn't heal themselves. So a healer needs to so there's a lot of, of self-healing that people do social media, which can be quite messy. Um, yeah. so, so it's always best to go to the originator. That's the other thing. Um, because of social media, people replicate a lot of the content, but I've realized yeah. you have to go to the source, um, the originator of a particular healing modality so that yeah. you don't allow people to play and test stuff on you. Um, so And play and test stuff with trauma, guys. I don't... Trauma! I think you trauma. and I have this conversation a lot that sometimes people are playing and waving mm-hmm. around in yeah. trauma spaces and they and, get stuck in a and then you way. get stuck and you re-traumatize someone because yeah. some trauma it may come across oh this is a small trauma i'm yes. just gonna like if we just do this and like what yeah. i've often seen with people is how like there will be something that has happened and then they'll work on the forgiveness modality and instantly try to get someone to go straight to forgiveness and then be mm-hmm. like, no, we've got them to forgive, etc. And then mm-hmm. the day that comes up again, a trigger will happen that will just like, yes. because the original trauma hasn't been dealt with. So exactly. often what we do is we think 
we hear a snippet of what someone has said, right? Mm. And we're like, no, I grasp it, I get it. And then we try to work on that, but it's just a snippet and we don't understand mm. what is the deeper thing that is driving that? You know, yes. what does it actually mean? I've seen people mm. do this when I've, talk, when I've spoken about the God wound. The God wound has so many layers and mm. one of them just so happens and it all shows up as the God wound, but it is so many layers. And like one of them is just the issue with God, but that mm. issue shows up with so many other things. It's got nothing mm. to do with, it's not so much about the church and the pastor. You don't mm. even have to be religious. <laughs> so I've seen mm. that and I'm always like, don't do that guys. Like, it's such a deeper wounding than what we're just discussing on the surface. Yes. So, wow. I really, really like that. So then you started doing the work and this is where Busi and everyone was like, we don't know what this woman is doing. And you started to see shifts in your business. Can you please say, cause you've been, um, you're literally one of the reasons why the Money Magic course has grown. So guys, let me just share the story with you guys. I had quit this work, quit the Money Magic course. Nomveli so hears about it. She's like, she wants to try the course. She tries the course. She sees so many benefits. And remember, I'm not even marketing the course. I'm not doing anything except with just a few clients that come through. Nomveli so offered to market this course. She shared her story with people. Before I knew it, like this course was a thing, like wealthy money was a business again. So basically, Nomveli so dragged me from where I was living in South Korea back into the actual work. And I am always forever grateful for that because she was just like, this work is incredible. You cannot give up on it. Let's do this. So please share what are some of the shifts that you've seen over the years as you've been doing the work. I think when before I did the course, um, I was running retreats camp still, and I had lots mm-hmm. of experience still in my work. But I think yeah. I was charging nine hundred and fifty, um, for yeah. a retreat, a weekend retreat, nine fifty per child, mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand. I'd be so exhausted, yeah. and mind you, nine fifty only covers accommodation and food, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and and I would be so exhausted, and I couldn't understand. And also that's the other thing that gets covered in the course is the, that that heart of wanting to serve all the time <laughs> um, and not charge people for it. And then, um, but I used to get so exhausted and I, really, and I didn't know um, why. And then when I went with the content of the course, I realized that I was really highly undercharging mainly because I wanted, um, the, I wanted my work to be reachable. Yeah. But I wasn't taking into context my experience in the work and my my energy in terms of all that goes into planning these retreats, the logistics, mm. everything, um, the content and me almost running everything from the first day up until the last day. And then I realized I was highly undercharging myself. And I was at undercharging because I was scared of being rejected by the market and I was undercharging because I was scared of making more money because I was just sabotaging myself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so the camps would fill up, fill up, um, but yeah. there wasn't anything to show for it. So then when yeah. I started working on self-sabotage and my family trauma around money, that's when I realized, okay, I need to honor the work that I'm doing. And this is mm-hmm. all while doing the work. So it's not that I just yeah. woke up and said, okay, <laughs> I was still doing the work. Um, I did um, yeah. the spirit of money meditations um, so that I understand where I was sitting with the whole money and relationship. And then yeah. I would do the to review um, my stories around money and where it's coming from and everything else around it. I mean, there's so many layers to this. So, so, yeah. so many layers. So I'm the kind of person who always wants to um, to be honest about my journey and um, and where help is received. So that's why I would make a noise about the cost because I thought, <laughs> guys, you guys cannot struggle when there's help here. So, and, and also because, and also, I value authenticity as well. So yeah. I wanted to be able to, to be authentic about my journey. So yeah. I increased um, the price of my retreats. But yeah. then, um, and I was confident about it. But then the other thing came in after increasing, the fear kicked in because people started questioning my price. And because mm-hmm. I wasn't um, strong um, emotionally or because there was another layer um, that comes with being questioned about your pricing, then yeah. you get triggered, and then some another layer of your um, family trauma, I mean, your money trauma would come up. Then I have yeah. had to run back to the cause. <laughs> so I realized that it becomes impossible to just run the cause, to do the cause quietly on the side and yeah. hope that things are going to work out. And then I realized, okay, I need to be vocal about every challenge I'm going through because um, somehow when I'm more vocal in terms of sharing the gory details, the more I I, I get um, insights and the more um, things will change for me. So I started just writing openly about it. Um, and also, I think by that time, I haven't I had no shame attached to things. Like, I'm not ashamed. I wasn't ashamed that yeah. I had money problems. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, think, I think shame... I think, you know, that's what shocked a lot of people. That's why people were like, what is this? Because yeah. you had no shame in a society that makes us feel like you're not making money in your business. You've got business um, issues or you're working so hard in your business, but you're not making a profit. You should feel yeah, shame. And because, and, and I, I don't think I ever told you this, because I shared so openly, um, some other group of women actually created a post um, on Facebook uh, about how my business is not doing well and why, you know, no. a whole lot of encouraging things. <laughs> so... Ah. That's I wonder the what they're saying now when you like I would love training to know team coaches <laughs> and your franchising. Um, so, but then, but then I'm not. Um, thankfully, because I work with teens, I'm not prone to peer pressure because I've seen how it plays out with teenagers. But I must admit that you can't do the course um, in in a quiet, isolated place. You need a tribe around to be around yes. you um, because a lot of the chickas will catch you unaware. Yeah. It's quite common to, to, to have 
a one big trigger that will cause you to go running and hide and disappear for years. Yeah. <laughs> and then you come yeah. back, you're still in the same place <laughs> that you yeah. still have to go fix that particular space. So I think what really helped me just in short was um, being honest about my journey and about myself and not make it about any other person how they think, how they would view me. I didn't care about those things. I wanted to make money for myself. So I didn't yeah. care what other people thought about me. And uh, so what helped was me interacting with the content. I think I read all of the articles in your blog, all of them. Um, I even know where to find them. <laughs> so, um, and then what I did was I read the book. I think the biggest tens though are in the meditations um yeah. i'm huge at meditating um yeah. so that had quite a lot so i increased yeah. my retreat fees and then i got to a stage where i didn't care anymore who questioned me or not uh, yeah. because i then through the cost built the confidence of knowing that i'm really charging my worth now yes. and because of that i'm i'm not going to waver and as more and the more i was confident in that um, narrative of this is my work this is how I'm going to honor myself the more I attracted the right um, mm -hmm. clients because that's yes. the other thing not everyone is your client and you learn yes. this through the course um, <laughs> everyone is, is your client and yeah. you learn this from the course I, I must emphasize you learn this from the course not everyone yeah. is your client and once you know who your client is you're then able to speak to your client and yeah. ignore everybody else um, Amen. Because that's yeah, the thing. Then, it's like I see people. This is the thing with I'm sorry, Herbalife guys, right? But you guys give me so much fodder and thinking <laughs> processes. I keep them to myself. But in these interviews, the Herbalife comes through. It's that shaming of people. Like you, we have this belief that sell that your clients everyone everyone is your market you know i remember when i started um there was a time i used to own, i used to co-own a real estate agency in boston massachusetts and we would go to these trainings by a particular brand it was under a franchise and they would tell us that you have all these friends on Facebook. They are all your clients. This is how you're going to teach your agents to sell real estate, etc. And then it's like, actually, no. Now I realize that actually not everyone is your client. Don't get upset if people are not buying from you. You know, and just right. um, yeah. I don't want to this so i don't want people to think this is sounds too good to be true um or that your 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 problems completely go away and you've got your bank account gets full all the time there yeah. are days when i have nothing in my bank account i must emphasize mm. this oh we call it bleeding money in the, in the wealthy cost money and um, vegetarian group because when you bleed money so bleeding money means you money just get just leaves out of your bank account like doo -doo -doo -doo, because of emergencies because of things you need to pay because mm. of uh, you know a lot of a lot of things so it does happen that um there are phases when you don't have money but yeah. when you start bleeding money the next thing that we usually do is to find the source of the bleeds, which mm -hmm. source you'd find in the inner work. Um, so, so for an example, um, I'm bleeding money now, and um, <laughs> and and the, the cost teaches you why you might be bleeding money. Um, mm -hmm. So, for an example, I know when I'm bleeding money, I need to go to the inner child. I've learned this yeah. through the course. I need to yeah. go to the inner child, and once um. 
once I do the inner child, I then understand that in this particular week in my life, there is something that might be happening that is triggering yes. my fear in money. And then that mm-hmm. fear then triggers everything else. And yes. it plays out in weird ways where you start paying for courses that you were not going to use. Like I did this week, <laughs> last week. Um, I, I actually I paid for do this that course a lot as well. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm realizing, why did I pay for that course? Then I realized, oh, there's something else because I'm doing a lot of family work now here at home. Yeah. So, so the wow. money then um, triggered. So every work that I'm doing is triggering the money side of things. So now, oh yeah, every do, time so, going home is a guarantee for me to start needing yeah. money. It's like. Yeah. <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes. And then now that I understand that now I'm able to run to the, to the meditations and then yeah. I find the source and then I deal with that source there and then often things balance out. And sometimes yeah. bleeding money can play out in ways where you become lethargic, you don't feel like doing any work. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it plays out in different ways. Um, yeah. So when my bank account is empty and I know there's something I might be running away from and, yeah. and, and then the, the key is then for me to stop running is I need to go yeah. to a meditation. It does happen that we also run away from doing the inner work because it can yes. be quite deep sometimes, you know, crying, emotions all over the place. So, um, <laughs> but as long as we know where the source is and then you're able to yeah. take your time and go to a meditation. What I've also learned around along the years is that when I don't do inner work, nothing, Things shifts and nothing changes. It's true mm-hmm. doing the inner. In fact, I end up delaying myself um, yeah. when I don't do the inner work. Yeah. It just delays you. It delays I agree. It's like I always see people that say, well, I'll start doing the work when something shifts. And it's always been such a thing for me because it's like, and then sometimes what often happens is that those same people will come back to me two years later and they'll be complaining about the same issue same two years issue. later. Same and it's issue. like, same. no, because it had nothing to do with what I, you hear me talking about something and then you're like, no, I've mm. got it. But maybe mm. it's about something completely different. The same issue mm. that causes me to bleed money may not be mm. the same issue that causes Nomveliso to bleed money. Yes. Often it is not, you know, the other thing, completely different. The other thing I've noticed um, students make the mistake of, I can say this because I'm an older student, <laughs> um, make a mistake of is just talking about um, the issue that's making everyone bleed money. It yes. doesn't help. Because yeah. you can talk about it, but if you're not going back into your closet to do the inner work and the meditations, then nothing is going to shift. Yeah. Just writing about it alone doesn't help. You yeah. end up having the story. Yes. And that becomes the story. And yeah. if people are not careful, it can almost become your story. Yeah. Where this is how you are known. You are this person with this story. Because yeah. you talk about it when you get triggered, but you don't do the work that goes with yeah. it to remove the figures completely and all yeah. together. So that's, yeah. that's the difference. Ooh, so what you just said then, eh? Yes, in my case, I've yeah. experienced the most shifts from not just talking, but doing the inner work. Yes. So sometimes I could end up doing the inner work and not talking, and yeah. I would get the but sometimes yeah. I would need to do the inner work and the talking and then I get yeah. the shifts. Yes. Um, so 
So, um, so each time when I, I see a person say, oh, I'm struggling with paying for the cost. I think I'm going to leave. I, I wish I could say, don't, because that, that, thing, that thinking plus that challenge is giving you a flag that says work on this yes, so that yes. you are able to, to, to transport over it because it's yes. there for me. So I've realized yes. that there are no coincidences in the money space. And yeah. also... Um, most things can be worked on. Um, yeah. Yes, human nature, human nature comes in when we run away from facing things, and that's okay. But if you're going to spend two years running away, you're delaying yourself mm-hmm. more than anything else. And seriously, hey, like I think of, wow, like I think some things have been so painful for us. You know, like mm-hmm. I've seen students deal with some crazy painful things. But like when they look back a year later, two years later, it's like where they are, it's like night and day. Debt has been paid, businesses have grown, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yeah, the work is painful, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. Right now, for the last two weeks, this is my second week, I'm doing what Nomvi is saying. I've spoken about the God wound that was triggered for me in a meditation. I've been running for the last 10 days, running, not wanting to do that meditation because I'm like, I refuse that I'm going to go there know the shifts will be incredible can can i say something before i forget um yeah so the other thing that um i wanted to link um is around expansion so when i began my work i was charging um 350 for a coaching session and this was about wow. five years ago 350 for a coaching that's yes it was about five years ago just so people yeah. understand I want to talk numbers now. Let's let's go to the numbers. Um, so I was charging three fifty for a coaching session that was five years yeah. ago. Currently, I'm charging one point three for a coaching session, um, yeah. for a minimum of um, ninety minutes for a coaching session. Yeah. So the difference between three fifty and one point three, um, and chances I'm going to increase my pricing for next year because the work yes. keeps growing in deep way. Um, yeah. And then, um, and then it, for retreats, I was charging 950, 950 five years ago. I'm now charging 3.8 um, yeah. for a retreat. Going to increase as well um, yeah. as, as the time goes because of the depth that is almost coming into the space now. Um, so that's, those are the numbers. So people often assume then, then you should not have money challenges. But what we, people forget is that a business has to grow. Ne? So yeah. besides um, the day-to-day logistics, I have a bigger vision for my business. Yeah. And the bigger that vision goes, we then talk about expansion. Ne? This yeah. is the language within the course as well. So when we talk about expansion, now we are talking beyond, 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 beyond. Than the usual numbers <laughs> yeah. that we used to. I'll make an example. There's a company that I work with as a consultant now and then. I've been with them mm-hmm. for the past 10 years now. Yeah. So they've been doing a study in the in the continent about um, entrepreneurship. And there's a term that they use, they say they talk about um high impact entrepreneurs. Your high impact entrepreneurs are the type of entrepreneurs, I'll make an example, your big retail stores that are able to have, say, 10 or 15 stores in one area or 100 or 200. So those are high impact entrepreneurs. So a study was done a couple of years ago that says a lot of black people don't 
get to that state of being high entrepreneurs easily um, yeah. because of our history as a country, because of colonialism and apartheid that close up opportunities from us. So it's difficult for your black entrepreneurs to high scale, to be high scale, high impact entrepreneurs. So so that's, that's our history. Né? So because mm-hmm. of that history, when someone like me wants to then become a high impact entrepreneurs, new triggers come up. Yes. And those yes. new triggers could easily be as when I open a business. Exactly. <laughs> but people like, say that ban. all the time. You know how many people would say to me, hey, but you dream, hey? Yes. Like, guys, like... Yes, you know, so, so, so demoralizing. Um, so, yes, so the biggest trigger. So now you can easily have a space where you, your, your account bleeds money because you're talking expansion. So mm-hmm. one of my biggest challenges for me is, is having a team, a strong team. You know, Bangila, I've been talking about this mainly yeah. because one of my biggest roles for expansion is a strong team to help yeah. to take me through the expansion phase. Né? So yeah. then that is my challenge. Né? And also there's this history um, that I'm tapping into that who have you ever seen who is black running a high growth um, coaching business that is yeah. not accredited via ICF because when uh, mm. you're refusing this request and things, who have you seen? So that's the record playing in my head. So yeah. how it plays out is that each time I try and secure a team Money bleeds in a yes. horrible way. Yes, because your inner child is trying to protect you from yes. the disappointment, from all the other things. So it has yes. to get she has to get rid of money in other ways. In other ways. And that, and now you're coaching me now because now you're just giving me something else to work on. <laughs> <laughs> um so but now so I've been realizing this week, which oh okay, each time I try and secure a team. I always bleed money. Mm. So what it does is it proves to the ones that I'm trying to get on board to go to this business is not functioning because yeah. then how is she going to pay for us? It also creates a story that says you have no money to pay a team and therefore yeah. there won't be any, any space for you to grow your business because like when I do you see that money to pay for your team here? And yeah. it, it becomes, it becomes um, a self-fulfilling prophecy then because... Mm of this story um and that's that's when people kind of make lose it because there's a difference when you're starting out within the course the course mm. itself and when you're expand on expansion mode yeah expansion comes with a, it, it almost it brings on the giants of yes. um, one trauma that you have to it does hey <laughs> and the giant and it's quite um it's it, easy for a person to want to run the opposite direction because then mm. what's the point because if you're not bleeding money you, you create emergencies all the time um mm. money comes in, like in, in my case this year alone i had a certain income goal that was going to lead straight to expansion like mm. camps in different regions and i think thanks to COVID, i think i lost almost six hundred thousand rents which was projected income just for this year alone oh, um yeah. and and it's easy to look at that money and also continue to bleed more because you didn't reach your goal except mm-hmm. um 
you can also decide to stay put and, and stay in the presence of mind until COVID is over. Because what, what then happened is that what I did was to stay the course in terms of content-wise um, yeah. on Facebook, on marketing, so that I stay there and we created content there. Um, this didn't mean I wasn't bleeding or still bleeding more, but the difference now is that thanks to um, whatever was happening this year, now people know more about what I do. Yes. More people actually know more about it. People yes. are now more. The, the only thing that I'm battling with now is overwhelm, which is another trigger because now there's lots yep. more people that want to know what I'm doing, and I don't have yeah. the right tip for it as yet because yeah. that's my other trigger and other thing yeah. I need to work on. And so now yeah. it's a different type of expansion space that I'm at, but yeah. the nice thing is that I know I can work on it. Yes. And that's because there are meditations that I can use to work on it. There's generally yeah. things I can do to work on it. Yes. Wow. Numbi, you know what I love about you is that you are always so blatantly honest about the journey. You don't mm. try to sugarcoat it. You're always so honest about it. And I appreciate that so much. So, yeah, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, yeah, people don't understand. I keep saying expansion has its own unique issues. Yeah, You know, yeah. it has its like own unique dramas because suddenly it's like you go from this many people to that many people. Yeah. And then the bigger thing is also, can you service those people? How do you uh, treadle expansion? All these things. Mm -hmm. But I love that you took that opportunity. And I think this is where the work comes in, right? It's like not everything is hunky-dory. Same as yeah. you. I lost about, I don't know, 750,000 rand from the retreats that I had planned. Because I had yeah. planned three retreats and people had already paid. I had to pay back most of that money, you know? Yeah. So some people had already paid in full. So there were months mm. where I was doing refunds of like 250,000 rand just for retreat. We call it <laughs> you know, but like, just like you, I went back and I did the work and other opportunities opened up. I was like, wait, I've got yeah. other streams of income that I can focus on growing. And just like you, that has become the focus. And mm. because that became the focus, things have just, I feel like I've actually grown Yes. The business has grown faster than what I could have envisioned. But I yes. think that without the work, when I'm truly honest, I would have lost my mind. You know, I yes. would have panicked. But for some reason, I was like, okay, I wrote down everyone's refunds, went to people and was like, okay, I can pay you in this month. I can pay yes, you I do that too. in this order. <laughs> I rise down with it. You know, and it's just like, just the calm of that and then following through on it and then continuing to build a business. That was not me before this work. And I think, I think that's the power of the work. And it's that thing of having the right um, clients because mm. the right clients also um, don't give you, they, they, they know the kind of person that you are and they're yes. able to move with you at, 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 at any yes. surprise that happens that's outside of your control. So that's yes. the other beauty of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to, like, I really, really agree with that. I never thought of that. But yes, like, I think 
having the right clients. Like I think absolutely everyone that was coming to the retreats was the yes. right client. They are a money magic student. They knew the story. They saw me when I was writing in the group about what, how COVID was hitting the business. And like, just like you, I talk numbers, right? So yes. I think that was super powerful. Just, and I, I will keep coming back to this, guys. You can sell to anyone and everything and anyone. You can sell to anyone at any point. There's no problem with that. But selling, working with the right clients who are the right fit for you, that changes the game. It's just like working with a team that is the right fit for you. It changes the mm-hmm. game. So, wow, we've come to the end of our interview. Namvi, how do people get hold of you? I know people are still reeling probably from the family dynamics conversation that we had. And I know that they may want to engage in your services. Guys, whatever you do, you may want to take this up. It is powerful. And Namveliso is incredible with teenagers. So um, I'm I'm online. I'm, I think I stay on Facebook. <laughs> so um, so if you if you if you search for teen coaching, um, teen coach Nombeli Sombanga, you'll find me. I have a page, um, and that page has my WhatsApp number and the email address. So I'm really easy to find. Um, and and um, so I'm always on, on online. And I think um, the most important thing that I want to highlight about my work is that um, the, there's so much value in working with teenagers ne? before mm-hmm. they are older, because mm-hmm. um, we know how they, uh, there's a lot of stats around the high, um, high stats of numbers around depression in the country mm-hmm. and how those are sitting with adults within the workspace. Um, yeah. And those adults are us. And yes. mainly because a lot of our emotional traumas from our childhoods are coming up when yep. we are over when we are young adults, we're 25 plus years and above. Um, so there's a lot of value in allowing ourselves to get our teenagers and our preteens to handle their emotional traumas before they're grown. It also gives us a chance to work on ourselves too. And I'll make an example. In all of our retreats, I ensure that parents are part of the, of the interaction as in the kids are the ones that attend the retreat alone but we have a session afterwards for parents um so that parents understand what the teens are going through or are dealing with Mm. so that they can then also work on their own things as a family what i then find is to be a challenge though is that when adults realize that some of the issues are coming from them they tend to run away completely run away um and that doesn't help our children hey it doesn't like, have what is that, guys? It's it's fear. Um, it's fear, and I guess it's self judgment. I I understand where it's coming from. It's self judgment. Mm. So, what I want to say, if you do decide on this on this path, make sure that you'll build the courage within yourself to stay the course. Ne? Mm. Um, and I think this is one thing that I need to work with on my side because people get stuck on how much they need to pay um, and assume it's about just creating business when it's not. Um, So sometimes I tend to then give people what they've paid for in terms of the retreat itself and not um, probe them for follow-up sessions because you don't want to come across as if you were just creating businesses for them. But it becomes crazy though 
when a parent comes back three years and four years later for the same issue that you had have, have highlighted before um, and then they never worked on it. So yes. I'm going to say, be it you choose to work with me on teenagers and family dynamics or be it you choose to work with Vangile on the money side of things, just stay the course, um, yeah. stay the course because staying the course is not just going to assist you but your next generations in your family because this work mm-hmm. is generational as well mm-hmm. um so whichever generation in intercedes or intervenes it's it helps to prepare the next generations in a much more better mm-hmm. way so that when we get to a certain era your line and your bloodline has less issues to work with Amen. Um, and this is why, and this is why we, we do this work um mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and in my case, why it's important to me is to ensure, because I have a child now, um, I'm a very guarded about what happens within his space emotionally because I don't want him to absorb any emotional traumas unnecessarily. So I'm very guarded about um, how I handle myself as well and how I process my own emotional things on a day-to-day basis because mm. I don't want him. And I'm intentional about it because we can't keep replicating some of the issues from the older generation and yeah. um, we have to be of a presence of mind so that our yeah. kids have a different experience so I'm very guarded about what goes into him and into his environment and into his yeah. space because and I guess that's why he's a happy child because I'm very I'm very I, I see that he <laughs> is such a happy child yeah. um yeah. I love what you've just said though like I think parents don't understand and I've said this often before that what I see with black parents in particular, we think I'll give the child the best education. In fact, I'll pay the most money to get them the school books, the best education. And then we wonder when a child gets into their 20s, why is this child with all this incredible education not able to succeed? Why are they not, mm. able, why are they not growing? Then we get really mm. frustrated when the truth is, mm. The issue is not the education. It's that the traumas that this child is carrying are stopping them and blocking them from being able to grow career-wise. Or you find that a child is still stuck in a particular childhood stage because Um, the traumas were never addressed. And also not just were they never addressed, but we were refusing to do our own healing work. So we have actually essentially blocked our own children from succeeding. And I think it's hard for us to admit that because we've been running from the work. You know, I see Mm -hmm. so many black parents running from the work, but they but there's like this hope that our kids will do better, that their kids will do better. Right. Mm -hmm. But the truth Mm -hmm. is, you are part of the issue. As you start to heal, you start to heal everybody else that comes Mm -hmm. after you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, wow. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Nomvi. Thank you so you. much, guys, for joining us. <laughs> if this resonated with you guys, please check out the Money Magic course. It's wealthy-money.com forward slash money magic. Again, wealthy-money.com forward slash money magic. In the course right now, we're doing a lot of work on creating an extra stream of income. So building your extra stream of income to at least the first income stream being 40000 
2,000 Rand or 2,500 US dollars. And we work a lot on ancestral money trauma, but I also want to encourage you guys, <coughs> and I'm not just saying this for anything, but please check out Namveliso's work. It's like, I was that teenager, like I said, that went to psychologists and counselors and I wasn't getting the, well, I got help, but it was not the help that I feel would have made a big difference for me in my 20s. By the time I was 25, I was back to being suicidal and extremely depressed. The same issues from, from my teens popped up all over again. And I feel like if I had someone like Nom Veliso on my side, it would have made a huge difference. So thank you and do contact Nom Veliso. Until next time, guys, I'll see you next week. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you find this podcast helpful and enlightening, please can you do me a favor and go leave the podcast a five-star review on iTunes or leave a comment on YouTube. And of course, share it with your family and friends. I would really appreciate it because it would help other money magicians who are looking to change their relationship with money find this podcast, which would really make my day. Also, as a bonus, if you're interested in changing your spending habits, I have a complimentary ebook for you. You can download it at wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook. Again, wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook. Have a fantastic day further and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Money Magic Podcast. <laughs>